This sermon is titled Guidelines and Pitfalls to Avoid When Mentoring. Part 3. Be enriched as you listen. All right, just uh, I want to read a couple of testimonies that came in. Two testimonies. This one came in last Sunday. Uh, this person wrote he- healing from backache. So this person had been having uh, back pain over right side for uh, several weeks. So last Sunday, he came to the service believing and expecting God to heal. And he said, praise, and, and you know, pain was gone. He went home to check and everything before sharing. So he sent in this email saying this pain has gone. Another testimony, healing from deafness. Uh, this came in on Monday. Uh, so this person was actually watching online. And uh, she was attending the online service. Uh, since 2007, she could not hear in a left year due to some medical conditions. She mentions that here. Uh, but while we were praying, she felt her left ear open. And she couldn't believe it because she was not actually praying for that. She was praying for somebody else. And then she tested it using the headphone and she was able to hear. She says it's not 100% complete, but uh, it's audible, understandable. Before she couldn't hear anybody speak uh, through her left ear, but now it's all opened up and she can hear. Amen. God bless. Let's thank God for those testimonies. So we encourage people, you know, you verify your testimony and then you send it in so that we can share with others. All right. We've been spending time the last two previous weeks talking about mentoring, coaching, and nurturing people. So we've done two sermons on that in case you missed those Uh, You can get it on our church website. You can access them there. So today is part three in the sermon series as we talk about mentoring, coaching, and nurturing people. And Bible college students, this is also for you. Because you in your ministry are going to be involved in nurturing and raising people. Right? That's part of what you're going to be doing. And so these things will be very relevant to you, although it's in the middle of the sermon series. So... We talked about the fact that we need to create a culture amongst us as a church where we are intentionally mentoring, coaching, and nurturing, nurturing people. We talked about the importance of how as uh, those who are mature or older in the faith should need to give in spiritually into the lives of those who are younger in the faith and help them, nurture them. That's part of what God has called us to do that we mentor, coach, and nurture, that we, we have that as part of the church community. We do that. And then we, in part two, uh, second sermon in this series, we talked about how to do that, how to mentor, coach, and nurture people. We looked at Paul and Timothy as a prototype, as an example. How did Paul work with Timothy and what lessons we could learn from that? We used that as an example, and you can reference that message. Today, I want to just keep things practical. We want to talk about guidelines and pitfalls to avoid as we mentor, nurture, and coach, and develop people. Some guidelines, some pitfalls to avoid. Are you all ready for it? Okay. Let's begin by just reading two passages of Scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Philippians 2, 19 to 22. Paul writes, he's he's writing to the Philippians, he's writing about Timothy. He says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. 
For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Another passage we want to look at is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. Paul writes here, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. He's, he's writing to Timothy, and he says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Now, these two passages are very interesting. The first one, Paul is writing about Timothy. He's writing to the Philippians. And notice what he says about Timothy. He says, Timothy has served with me. And that's part of that mentoring process. He, he, he's journeyed with me. I have first-hand information about Timothy. I'm not speaking by what somebody else said. He served with me. I mean, we've been in the trenches together. We had to sweep the floor together. We had to do set up in church together. We had to set things up, put things down. You know, we did all that together. So I can speak from first-hand experience what kind of person Timothy is. So that's what happens when you mentor people. You get to know them, really. You know, if you just look at them on their social media, that's, that's a totally different image. <laughs> but when you work with them, when you journey with them, travel with them, do the work together, and you journey with them through life, you get to know who they really are. And at the end of it, Paul says, here's what I can tell you about Timothy. As a son with his father, he served with me. He is a man who will really care for you. That's wonderful. For Paul to say that. I know he'll really care for you. Second, he is like-minded. I mean, he, is, he thinks the same way, like I think. He's one with me. And he said, I know his proven character. I can vouch for his character. That's amazing. But that's what happens when you work with people. You really get to know them. The second passage in 2 Timothy 3, which we read, is very interesting because that is written after about 16 to 18 years that Paul and Timothy have journeyed together. It's the last epistle that the apostle Paul wrote. So it's the, at the end of that 16, 18 year period that they worked together. And Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy, you have carefully followed my teaching. So for the last 16 years, 18 years, you've been listening to everything I've been teaching. You've observed my way of life, my manner of life. Timothy, you've seen my life. I wasn't some hidden person somewhere, but you saw me. You saw me in my hardships. You saw me in my persecutions. You saw me when I went through good things and bad things. You saw my life. You saw my purpose, my faith, my love, my endurance. You saw everything. So that's what happens when you're mentoring people. You let them see. You model for them. You pattern for them this life that we are supposed to live. Are you with me? Amen? So 
this, this example, Paul and Timothy, is just a beautiful prototype of how to mentor, how to coach, how to nurture people. And that's worth examining even further. As we talk about the guidelines, why is it important for us to have these guidelines and, and, and be aware of these things? Because while you know, we need to understand how to nurture a healthy mentor-mentee relationship. How do you nurture a healthy relationship? So the Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 17, As iron sharpens iron, a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. So there is tremendous value when you know, we journey together, when we, when we mentor, nurture people. We can really sharpen people. We can really build them up. But if you do it wrong, it can hurt people. It can hurt the mentor and the mentee. Both get hurt. Well, this is something that's a good thing to do. If you don't do it right, people end up getting hurt. And so we need to understand how to do this right. And that's the reason behind this sermon. You're with me so far? So let's begin with the heart of a good mentor. So if you are pouring into somebody's life, you, somebody comes to you, you know, and say, can you help me with this? Can you help me? You know, how do I make a career choice? How do, you know, uh, how do I choose you know, whom to marry? How do I choose what vocation to pursue? And so somebody comes to you, and, and they're giving you the privilege of being a mentor in their life. You are very important in this whole engagement. You need to be sure that you have a good heart. It's so important. The heart of a good mentor. And I want to read for us 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 to 8. I know this is not, the context is not necessarily a mentor-mentee relationship, but I want you to observe the heart of the Apostle Paul as he's ministering to these people at Thessalonica. Look at what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. He says, but let's read it together. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Are you reading it with me? All right, let's go, verse 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. So notice the heart of, the, of Paul. He says, look, we came to you with the message, but we didn't just come to give you a message. Our heart was in it. We cared for you, and he uses this picture of a mother caring for her child. And he says, we didn't just give you the gospel. We were willing to lay down our life for you. That's the heart we must have. It's very easy to say, look, I'll give you some messages, I'll give you some sermons, I'll give you some knowledge, and just go, go. (laughs) But is your heart in it? Do you really care for the person? And that's more important than the information that you can share. Well, the information is good, but the heart of a mentor is you really care for the people. And I want to summarize the heart of a mentor with just these three things. You know, we could elaborate much more, but first of all, you must be sincere. When you are mentoring somebody, be sincere in what you're doing. 
genuine. You really care for the person. Don't do it for the sake of doing it. Don't do it because, hey, uh, I'm better than you kind of thing. No, I care for you. Sincere. You really care for them. You want to see them do well. Second, be secure. You have to be secure in yourself when you are helping somebody. You must be so secure in your own heart that you're not afraid to give them everything you have. You must be so secure in your heart that you're not afraid to let them become better than you. But that's the heart of a good mentor. And thirdly, serve. You are serving because you want to bless them. You're serving not because you're going to get something out of it. But you're serving because I'm here just to pour out my life. Are you with me? Three simple things. Got to be sincere. Let's say it together. Sincere, secure, serving. That's your heart. When somebody comes to you and says, can you help me? Can you share with me? Yeah, I'll be sincere. I'll be secure. I will serve you. No strings attached. Amen? Now on the flip side, if you are a mentee, that means somebody is nurturing you, you also have certain commitments and responsibilities. So let's quickly mention that. The commitment and responsibilities of a good mentee. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, and again, I know the context itself is not specifically a mentor-mentee, but it is in the context of the local church, so we can apply it here. In 1 Timothy 5, 17, Paul writes, he says, let the elders, spiritually mature, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So the essence is honor the person who's pouring into your life. So as a mentee, when somebody is investing in you, what should be your responsibility? I want to summarize in these five things. Number one, you have to honor them, respect them, Respect their time, respect their knowledge, respect their experience which they're giving you, honor. And one real way that I, I personally, and I'm not saying everybody does this, but I do this, that I evaluate honor is, do you keep time? Right? So if I say, let's meet at 10 o'clock. Example, yesterday, one young man had reached out to me. I don't know if he's sitting here today, so forgive me. But he reached out to me. He said, you know, I, I want to talk about something. He was, you know, he's, he's about to graduate, so he's making some decisions about career and all that. So I want to talk to you. Sure. I said, okay, we'll do a Zoom call, 10 o'clock. Now, when I tell somebody 10 o'clock, I mean you have to be there at 9.58. If you come at 10.02, 10.05, forget, I'm not doing the call. <laughs> Seriously. Because I am committed. When I say 10 o'clock, 9.58, I will start the call. I am committed. If you're not there before 10, but this boy is good, good boy. He's an APC boy, you know. <laughs> Just, okay. 9.58, he logged it. I was watching. Seriously, I was watching. Because this is a matter of honor. Do you honor my time? 
Because I'm not sitting and eating chapatis all the day, all day long, right? I've got things to do. So when I say 10 o'clock, I mean 10 o'clock. And you better be there two minutes before 10. And sure enough, he was there. We had a wonderful time. You know, it was a great time. But that's one way you show honor. That when somebody says, look, I'm willing to spend time for you. I'm willing to share my knowledge, my experience with you. Honor time. You know, sometimes we interview people, they apply for jobs. We say interview, come at four. And sometimes we get a call, 3.50. I'm leaving from so-and-so. I say, tell them don't come. Don't come for the interview. If you, we gave you time, four o'clock, you say 3.50, I'm leaving from somewhere. Forget it. You're disqualified automatically. Because we can't keep time. How are you going to do work? Especially God's work. Amen? That was free. Okay, so honor, 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 honor is so important. Giving honor. And you show honor by how you respect people's time, the knowledge they're giving. Secondly, confidentiality. So when a mentor is sharing things with you, many times as that engagement develops, they begin to share their own personal stories. Stories that I won't share from the pulpit, I will probably share, but I'm sitting one-on-one with somebody. I will tell them, you know, I'm messed up this way. I made these mistakes. That's why I learned this lesson. It took me five years to learn this lesson. I'm telling you in five minutes. So I will make myself vulnerable. We will make ourselves vulnerable. We'll tell you about our flaws. We'll tell you about our weaknesses. We'll tell you about our struggles. We don't speak those things from the pulpit, but that happens when we are nurturing somebody. Why? Because we're telling them, this is how I learned this lesson. This is what I myself have gone through. This were my ups and downs. And, and so when a mentor is sharing these personal stories, they are meant for your years alone. You don't go put it on social media. I'm writing my blog. I met with pastor yesterday and he told me all these things about his life. How many of you like, like, like? <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't do that. What is shared in that context stays right there. Confidentiality. Are you listening? Because that's, that's how I can share. That's how we can train people. Say, look, I made this mistake. This is how I learned. I'm sharing it with you. I don't want you to go to the make the same mistake. Or I went through the struggle. I'm sharing it with you. But I want you to go through the same struggle again. But that is confidential. It's not for you to go and tell the whole world. So that's very important. Number three, part of your responsibility is to apply. Meaning don't just come there. Don't just listen to your mentor, whoever is you know, investing in your life. Take all the information, write it down, and then do nothing about it. What's the point? But you need to apply it in your life. And you need to go back to them and say, hey, you shared these things with me. I thought through on it. And this is how I'm using what you're giving me. I'm not just sitting there and taking one hour of your time and, uh, and, and listening to all that you're saying and not doing with it, something with it. And that's your responsibility to make good use of what is being invested. Number four is this, that you need to have gratitude. As a mentee, you need to have gratitude. That is, you always say great. You always remain grateful. And even... After the engagement is over, you know, some mentoring engagements, maybe one phone call, one call. Sometimes it happens over a few months, sometimes maybe over a few years. But at, at some point, that engagement comes to an end and you're journeying on. You may go further, way, you know, become some amazing person in life. But always remember your roots. Always remember that somebody invested in your life. Be grateful for that. 
always be grateful. When you see that person, say thank you. And I remember when I was growing up in the Methodist church, there was one particular summer of VBS that I attended that impacted my life so powerfully. It was, I, I don't know which year this was, it was a long time ago. Um, but there was one particular teacher who taught the VBS class. And that particular vacation, summer school, um, was about missionaries. We were studying about missionaries. And this particular teacher, she so influenced us, this group of kids in her class in the Methodist church. My life changed during that time. Till today, when I see her, I say thank you. I can give you her name, and you don't go Google her. <laughs> but till today, when I see her, I say thank you. Because that, it was just that short vacation Bible school. But it touched my life so much. It inspired me to serve God. So it was a small thing, but a very powerful thing. And I say thank you. And I want you to do the same thing. When you see people who have impacted your life, maybe it's a week of their life, maybe it's longer, but remember to be grateful. And lastly, number five, multiply what's been given to you. The heart of a mentor is, when I invest in one person's life, I hope that they will take it and bless others with it. Right? So give back, pass it on, share it, multiply it. So that's your commitment and responsibility as a good mentee. Are you all with me so far? Number f the next thing I want to mention here is talk about some guidelines. Just a few. You know, when you are working with people, be conscious of these things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, let's read it together. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. Notice he says, we don't have dominion over your faith. We can't control your faith. We can't dictate your faith. But we are here to serve you so that you can be joyful and you can stand in faith. So remember, you don't have dominion over people's lives. You're here only to serve them. So what are some guidelines we can put for this as for mentors? Number one, maintain healthy relational boundaries. That means don't override either parental authority or workplace authority. So especially if you're mentoring a young person, always refer them back to their own parents. Right? You may be a pastor, you may be a spiritual leader. They come to you for some advice. They come to you for something. And if there's a young person, you say, hey, this is what I feel is good, but please share this with your parents. Get your parents okay, if they are in that age group. And I've spoken to some of these young people, and I do the same thing. I say, hey, go, please talk to your parents. I cannot take the place of your parents. I must not do that. So I reference them back to their parents. Go talk to your parents. Or if you're not talking to them about a workplace issue, reference them back to their own manager. You're not their manager. And you don't have the same perspective that a manager has. When they come to you with a workplace issue and you're saying, you know, okay, this is how you handle it, fine. But in this thing, you need to go back and be aligned to whoever is in your leadership, in leadership at the workplace. You can't take the place of the manager. You can't take the place of the parent. Are you all understanding? So 
Understand boundaries when you're mentoring. Don't try to take the place of people who have authority in their lives. Don't try to step in there. You say, this is what I can say, do this. Many times when people overstep and they try to give, you know, take the place of the parents or take the place of, you know, workplace managers and so on, things get into a lot of trouble. Number two, do not control, manipulate, or abuse spiritual influence. And this is very important. You see, the moment somebody comes to you and says, as a mentor, they're listening to you, they're giving you access into their lives. They're giving you the, the privilege of speaking in. But don't misuse that privilege. Don't misuse it. Don't say, thus says the Lord. You have to do it. No. That they can hear from God. They also have mobile phones. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. They can also dial up heaven. Maybe I should put it like that. <laughs> they can also talk to God. So in the counsel you give, in whatever you say, you say, you pray about it. This is what I feel. This is what I can share. But you pray. You seek God. See what God says. See how God leads. But don't control. Don't manipulate. Don't say, you have to do this. This is from God. Because many times, people use, thus says the Lord, God told me, you have to do this. And they abuse that relationship. So don't do that. Don't control. Don't manipulate people through those things. Number three, celebrate their successes. Even if they go beyond you, celebrate them. Hey, you're doing a great job. Go for it. Keep going. Number four, encourage them to learn and receive through other mentors. Remember, like I said last time, you cannot be alpha and omega in their lives. Only Jesus can. So you give what you can give. When they come to you with something that is beyond your scope, refer them to somebody else. They say, hey, go speak to that person. That person knows what you are asking. That person can help you better than me. Right? Otherwise, if you try to talk about something that you have no knowledge about, you'll get into trouble, they'll get into trouble. Both will be crying at the end of it. So don't do that. Be honest enough to say, hey, I'm sorry, I can't help you with this. Please go speak to that person. Example. A believer comes to APC, hear about divine healing. Then they go to the pastor. Pastor, can I get rid of my tablets, my medicines? Pastor says, yes, thus says the Lord. Take. The pastor is not qualified to do that. What should he do? Go talk to your doctor. Tablets, medicines, I am not. You want chapter and verse, come to me. About medicines, go to the doctor. Is it clear? Don't try to play the doctor in somebody's life. Don't, try to do, don't do that. You can say, I can tell you what the Bible says. I can tell you that the Bible says, by his stripes you are healed. I can tell you that God says his name is Jehovah Rapha. You pray, he will heal you. I can tell you what the Bible says on healing. But whether to take your medicines or not, that is the doctor's responsibility, not mine. Are you understanding? So don't overstep that boundary. Stay within your boundary in, in this nurturing relationship with people. So what are some pitfalls to avoid? I know I'm moving very fast because uh, we've already had a lot of things happen in the service. 
What are some pitfalls to avoid? Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 39, He said, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? So in a mentor-mentee relationship, at least one person needs to keep their eyes open. If both get into this engagement with their eyes closed, they are going to end up in a ditch somewhere. Are you with me? Hopefully the mentor keeps their eyes open. And they say, this is where we are going. And they are watchful about certain pitfalls so that you don't fall into it. What are some pitfalls to avoid? I'll just quickly mention these things. Avoid compassion without correction. You know, sometimes you get so compassionate about this person, you want to help them, and because of all this compassion, you don't tell them straight in the face areas they need to change. So what happens? You have compassion, but you never bring correction. That will not help that person. You've got to have compassion. You've got to also bring in correction. Do it in love, but it has to be correction. So avoid falling into this pitfall of just having compassion, no correction. It will not help anybody. Another pitfall to avoid is avoid insecurity. If you feel any sense of insecurity in your heart as a mentor, go before God. God, help me. Give me a right spirit. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. I want to have a right heart in this as I'm working with these people. Third, avoid jealousy. Think about Saul and David. Nobody could kill Goliath. David went and killed him. He did a good thing. Saul got jealous. Jealous. And then he tried to destroy David. See, jealousy leads us to murder. Sometimes it's not murder in a physical sense, but it's in a murder in a, you know, what we call as character assassination. You know, so you destroy that person's character if you can't destroy the person themselves. But that's coming out of jealousy. That's what Saul did to David. Avoid that. When people are doing well, the people you are nurturing, celebrate them. Guard your heart. Don't become jealous of them. Another thing is avoid being overprotective. You know, sometimes... Uh, in an attempt to guide somebody in the right way, we begin to put so many different boundaries. Don't do this, don't do that, don't breathe in, don't breathe out. Hey, you suffocate the person. The person will fall dead. But you think you're being protective. No, you're suffocating the person. So don't be overprotective. Don't listen to that person. Don't listen to that person. Don't listen. Indirectly saying, listen only to me. That's wrong. So just let them be free. Let them develop the ability to discern what I should listen to, what I should not listen to, how I should grow. Let them develop that ability. That's what they will need. So don't be overprotective. Don't be, avoid become, becoming controlling. Avoid becoming over-involved. Avoid being dictatorial. And most importantly, avoid emotional attachments. It is true that when you're working with somebody, over time, you em get emotionally attached to that person. You know, you, you, you're getting so close. You've you shared so much with that person. There's emotional attachment. But then what we do is we don't like to let go. We don't let go. And that emotional attachment, and maybe 
through those things, you know, the, the decisions you make, uh, the advice you give is being colored by that emotional attachment you have with the person because you worked so much. And so you have to question yourself. Am I saying this because I really care for that person or is it coming out of an emotional attachment I have for this person? Are you understanding? For example, if a person is doing wrong and you've worked with person, this person for five years, uh, let's say that, you know, he may be having a problem with his wife or somebody, now you've journeyed with them, and now he's having a problem with his wife, but he's actually doing something wrong. But because you're so emotionally attached, you say, no, 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 you're doing very fine. No. If he's doing something wrong, you've got to slap him on the head and say, hey, you are doing something wrong. You're not treating your wife properly. You've got to tell it. You can't let your emotional attachment to the person color your advice or counsel. It's got to be plain, straight. Are you understand? So, it's very important. Avoid these pitfalls. We've got to work through growth pains. I'm getting to land the flight. So, please, sit back. Working through growth pains. So, as you're working with people, you're going to face some challenges. I want to just mention three. First, there will be resistance to change. People don't like change. Not many. And so when you want them to grow, you're trying to get them to change, but they're refusing. And growth cannot happen without change. Growth requires change. We are changed from glory to glory. We don't sleep from glory to glory. We are changed. And only if you can change can you step up to the next level of glory. But there's resistance to change. And so you need to help them through it. Show them the value of the change. If they make the change, this is what will happen. And hopefully that will motivate them. Second, there's a reluctance to challenges. So come on, I want you to give you this challenge. I want you to take up leadership. I want you to, uh, you know, take up this challenge. And you people say, oh, I don't want that. I don't want to, there's a reluctance to challenge. You've got to say, hey, look, you can have so much more impact if you take up this, this place of leadership. So encourage them in, to take up those challenges, step in. And, and lastly, there may be reactions to correction. Right? When you're correcting people, they react adversely. Now, hopefully people receive correction in the right way, but if they react, then that's going to be hard. But these are things you'll find, and these are growth pains, meaning they're finding it difficult to grow. And you've got to work with them, help them to grow. Worship team, please come. Two more thoughts here. There will come a time you have to phase out the mentor-mentee relationship. That means you come to a place where, you know, this relationship has served its purpose. I've done what I need to do. It's time to let them fly, journey forwards. So you have to have the understanding to say, look, it's been great. Go forward. I'm there anytime you want, but from now on, you need to journey forward. You, are, you have grown up. You've learned. The purpose has been served. Move forward. Stand on your own. Make your own decisions. Be a man or woman. Go forward. So we need to understand when to do it. Sometimes God may speak to you and say it's time to release them. Sometimes they may come to you and say, hey, it's time to go. 
Can you, you know, let's done. But you've got to release them. Don't hold on to them because you will prevent them from getting into the future that God has for them. Are you listening? The last thing I want to mention here is to learn from the mistakes that have happened in the church. And it's good to study history, church history. It's, a, it's, a, it's very valuable because we can learn from the history of the church. And I just want to reference two things, not everything, but just two things. That the church has gone in recent decades that we must be mindful about. Where this truth about mentoring, nurturing, coaching people, which is a good thing, was abused or misused and it hurt many people. One of that has to do with the shepherding movement that really came out in the 1970s, 1980s. In those times, there were four very prominent Bible teachers. They were known as the Fort Lauderdale Four, meaning they came from the same city in Florida. Very well known, very renowned Bible teachers. Uh, they, they're not alive today, but they, they've left a lasting legacy. Some of their books are read widely and people, you can listen to them on, on, on YouTube and so on. So good men, good men, Bible teachers, God had raised them up. Now they got together and they released a teaching in those days, which was, came to be referred to as the shepherding movement. The essence of that teaching was everybody needs a shepherd and you've got to be completely submitted to your shepherd. Now while some of it is true that God has set shepherds in the church, pastors in the church, that teaching did so much damage to the body of Christ all over the world. It hurt so many people. I know of damage done right in our own city because of that teaching, people who subscribe to that. It went to the extent where in churches they had so-called shepherds set over different people. You cannot do anything without reporting back to your shepherd. What did you do on Monday? What did you do on Tuesday? What did you have for breakfast, lunch, dinner? Where you went? Did you cough? Did you sneeze? <laughs> Everything you report. It was total misuse, abuse of what was a good thing. That is, yeah, there, are, there, is, there is the good side of mentoring, but this is abuse. And all over the world, people were hurt. And this is what actually happened. About eight or ten years after they had released this teaching and it had gone worldwide, they saw the effect of what had happened and they recanted, they withdrew that teaching. They made a public statement and this is a good thing they did. They made a public statement that what we have said was wrong. But the sad part is that withdrawal did not get to everybody. So today people still teach it. They try to still practice it. You have to have a shepherd. You have to have a spiritual covering. You don't find that in the Bible. And they abuse and control people. That's very sad. So avoid that. Avoid that. Don't let people control you. It's good to have mentors. It's good to learn from people. But don't give your free will over to somebody else. Are you understanding? God gave you your free will, not your uncle or auntie or your pastor. 
it's yours don't give it up a second abuse which is more current more recent is that of spiritual father and an orphan spirit so you know the way it's positioned is who is your spiritual father yes i don't know i got saved i received jesus and i'm following oh you don't have a spiritual father you are an orphan you have an orphan spirit you need deliverance right it goes like that or they ask who is your moses why do i need a moses i have jesus if you want moses you keep moses i'll keep jesus so they asked that, who is your Moses? Who is your Elijah? I don't need Moses. I don't need Elijah. Jesus Christ saved me. So it, it is the same error is repackaged in different ways. Who is your Moses? Who is your Elijah? Who is your spiritual father? Well, have you read the Bible? Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 9. What did he say? Let's read it. Do not call anyone on earth your father. One is your father, he who is in. In other words, we all have, as believers, we have a heavenly father. You're not an orphan. You're not an orphan. Let them say what they want to say. They're just saying error. We can learn from church history. You have a father in heaven. You're not an orphan. Amen. It's good to have spiritual fathers and mothers, meaning people who help you in the faith. But you don't derive your identity from that person. Whether it's Moses, Elijah or your pastor, you derive your identity from your heavenly father. Are you understand? So we should avoid these mistakes. It's going on and on. The, the, just like... You know, the church keeps repackaging these mistakes over and over again. And the shepherding movement was actually a repackaging of something that was preached even a hundred years before. Just repackaged. Hurt the body of Christ. So let's avoid these mistakes. Are you with me? Let's rise to your feet. So, I want us to pray. I'm praying to ask the Lord, God help me invest into the lives of people give me such a heart that i will pour into the lives of people whoever you are whatever your age is doesn't matter god can use you to raise somebody else up god can use you to pour into somebody's life God can use you to nurture other people, to disciple, to mentor, to coach, to build people up. And that is your greatest joy. The Apostle Paul wrote to the, Corinth, to the Thessalonians, he says, What is our crown of rejoicing? Are not you? Are not, is it not even you in the presence of the Lord? He's saying, you know, what am I going to boast about when I get to heaven? He didn't say, I will tell the Lord, Lord, I planted 50 churches. I wrote two-thirds of your book, Lord. I wrote it. I wrote this, I wrote that, I did that. No, no, no. He said, Lord, when I stand, when I stand before God, there is one thing I'm going to rejoice about. All these people who are there. You are the crown of my rejoicing. You are the reason that I, I'm going to rejoice about you. So what you do for people 
is what you will take with you into eternity. Every book you write will be left behind. Nothing will come on the other side. Everything we eat, everything else is going to be left here. But the lives that you touch, the people that you invest into, they will be there on the other side. They will be there. So can we pray? God help me to live unselfishly. To be able to help somebody, even if it's one person, two people, three people. To be able to help people, to pour into their lives. To make a difference. Please pray. And Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you will create in us, Lord, that heart that is willing to invest in other people, that is willing to give, that is willing to live unselfishly, that is willing to see value in somebody else and impart into them the learning, the knowledge, what you've done in us that we are able to pour into their lives. Do this, Father, in each one of us. May every person standing here have such a heart that they will be able to be like a Paul to somebody, that they will be able to be like a father to somebody, like a mother to somebody, God, that they will be able to nurture someone else in their walk of faith, that they will be able to invest God, they will be able to impart what you poured into them, they will be able to pour out into others. Father, create such a heart, create such a spirit in every Every one of us are God, so that we can touch lives for eternity, for eternity. Let there be empowering coming on each of us to do this. Thank you, Father. I'm going to let the worship team lead us. I want you to just take a few moments to let the Lord minister to you, please. Touching every heart, I worship you, I worship you. You are here, healing every heart, I worship you, I worship you. You are here. Turning lives around, I worship you, I worship you. You are here, mending every heart. I worship you, I worship you, and you are way maker, miracle worker. Promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are playmaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you
never stop, you never stop working Even when I don't see it, you working Even when I don't feel it, you working Never stop, you never stop working Never stop, you never stop Even when I don't see it, you working Even when I don't feel it, you working Never stop, you never stop working Father, I just pray if there are people here, God, who have been hurt or abused, especially by spiritual authority, in any way, God, maybe people they trusted who then began to control and manipulate them, who abused them. Father, I pray right now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will heal that you will release them from the pain and the hurt of that spiritual abuse. Father, if there are people in this place who've been hurt by authority over their lives, people who are supposed to lead them into green pastures and still waters, who turned around and totally ruined them, Oh God, today, at this moment, Father, heal by your Spirit. Bring healing, God, to those wounds by spiritual authority. Release people from the pain of that abuse in their lives. May they experience freedom. May they be able to forgive and just let go. And may they be able to step into the good that you designed. The good experience we're supposed to have through spiritual authority and through the church. May they experience the good side of things. 
and we forgive those who may have hurt us, wronged us, abused us, misused the authority we gave them in our lives. We forgive them. Be released, even as God has forgiven us. We thank you, Lord. Thank you. I'm going to speak the benediction. I just want an announcement. Right after the benediction, we're going to do a photo shoot here. Uh, our students will come back on stage. Uh, we'll give them some chairs to sit. And our faculty will come and stand with them. And uh, we will do a few camera shots. Is that okay? Right? And uh, after that, I mean, you, you're free to dismiss. Or you're free to watch us. <laughs> whatever you want. But we're just going to do that for a few minutes. And then our pastors will make ourselves available to pray for you. So just give us maybe 10 minutes. And then our pastors will be here to pray for you if you need prayer. Okay, but we will dismiss, we'll just do the quick photo shoot, and then we will have uh, the pastors here for prayer. Also, we are serving lunch for our graduates and their families. Uh, it'll happen somewhere at the back of the hall, I don't know which side, but somewhere at the back. Uh, so please, don't mind them, we're just going to try to be good to, good to all of them today. So uh, they will be sharing in lunch here, uh, just excuse us as we... Uh, partake of that okay I want to say a big thank you to the church all of us those of you here those of you been watching online those of you traveling everything that you are sowing into the church all of the work we are doing here it's because of what you give to the house of God amen like we've told you we don't get receive money from anywhere outside the country except for our own people who may have gone outside the country, they may have local accounts and they may give. But other, we, don't, we don't receive funding from any overseas church or ministry. Everything is what you give. Amen? And we're getting ready to do much, much, much more. It's exciting. Amen? Our goal next year is to bring in 100 students and just, just let this you know, Bible college explode, impact the nation, impact the nations. And I'll bring in... Uh, of course, students will be studying with us online, hundreds of them, but we want to have hundreds or more students here on campus with us and equipping and pouring into their lives. Amen? So I want to say a big thank you to you as a church for helping us do this. You are part of this. You're part of what has been sown into their lives. So thank you to all of you. Let's just give ourselves a good thank you. Really appreciate what you do. Amen. Amen. Let's close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each of us always. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, and books, please visit apcwo.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, visit apcbiblecollege.org. Do remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the Apple or Google Play Store.